those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. It's a quote most often attributed to philosopher George Santayana. In its original form, it read, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Yet today, mockers are mocking the second coming of Jesus, claiming that since the beginning of the world, everything has continued always the same. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. According to the philosophy of Harvard professor George Santayana, history repeats itself. And indeed, history does seem to be repeating itself, especially with the resurgence of anti-Semitism. What happened to the church in Germany in the 1930s is the same kind of atmosphere that we're facing now. The French Revolution was also certainly a prefigurement of the lawlessness, anarchy, and tyranny predicted for the end of times. During the radical French Revolution in the 18th century, Christianity was abolished step by step. Priests were banned and killed. Property of religious orders was seized, burned, and desecrated. And even the famous Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris was actually turned into a so-called Temple of Reason, where the goddess of reason was worshipped. The slogan of the French Revolution was liberty, equality, fraternity. Sounds good, doesn't it? But in this dark episode of history, men behave like beasts, demonstrating how quickly evil can seize a nation and how quickly faith and freedoms can be lost in incremental steps. It reached the point to where people were being executed without any trial whatsoever. The history of the French Revolution sounds chillingly too similar to today's prevailing political atmosphere. It initially began with attacks on church corruption and the wealth of the clergy, grievances which many Christians justifiably deplored. But beginning in 1793, the revolution evolved into a two-year reign of terror with a series of massacres, numerous public executions, and accusations of treason by the Committee of Public Safety. The symbol of the reign of terror was the guillotine to demonstrate how tyrants exhibit power over their subjects. And according to the book of Revelation, the future Antichrist will employ beheading as his chief method of execution. Here's the very sober warning from Revelation chapter 20. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived in rain with Messiah a thousand years. Also during the French Revolution, the Christian Gregorian calendar was replaced with a new revolutionary French Republican calendar, which abolished a day of worship, abolished saint days, and any reference to the church. Instead, 
festivals of liberty, reason, and the supreme being were scheduled. The seven-day week was changed to 10 days, although people just couldn't endure such a long work week. And so the Gregorian calendar was re-implemented in 1795. And we know that according to Bible prophecy, specifically Daniel 7.25, the future Antichrist will speak pompous words against the Most High, and he also will think to change times and laws. During the French Revolution, religious statues, church bells, and crosses were pulled down. The program of de-Christianization was waged first against the Catholics and eventually against all forms of Christianity. The program of de-Christianization was the logical extension of the materialist philosophies of Voltaire and the movement called the Enlightenment, which argued for a society based upon reason rather than faith. A variety of 19th century movements, including liberalism and communism, traced their intellectual heritage to the so-called Enlightenment. During the French Revolution, the standards of human conduct declined as men, women, and children were reduced to brutal, savage lives. It was a period in history that didn't have an equal until the totalitarian regimes of Stalin and Hitler. One of the characteristics of the future Antichrist, like many Antichrists who have preceded him, will be a disregard for human life and raw, unadulterated ambition. Napoleon Bonaparte was a man who cared little for the lives of a million men, which is the arrogant attitude of other Antichrist prototypes, murderers like Stalin, Hitler, and Asian communist dictators. So in the French Revolution, as a prototype of the last days, first there was an atmosphere of apostasy and lawlessness. Then a man of sin, a prefigure of the future Antichrist, entered into the vacuum to seize power. Napoleon rose to prominence and led successful campaigns during revolutionary wars. In 1804, he crowned himself as emperor of the French. He was a self-appointed emperor. The Pope knew about this move from the beginning and had no objection. Antichrist will also be self-appointed. History records that Napoleon was a great military genius, but his narcissism drove him to try to conquer the world in a lust for power. He was a chameleon using religion as a form of social control everywhere he went to manipulate people. But he said that if he had to choose a religion... The sun would be his God. Like the future Antichrist, Napoleon knew how to manipulate religious sensibilities of people. In 1807, he attempted to revive the great Sanhedrin. He also designed a medal of himself as God, handing down the tablets of the law to a kneeling Moses. That indeed was a prophetic picture, a type of the future Antichrist who will try to lord himself over the Jewish people. Because in the future, Bible prophecy tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2.4 that the Antichrist will dare to demand worship of himself as God, even in Jerusalem's holy place. That verse says that he will exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he will sit as God in the temple of God, showing himself claiming to be God. 
although Napoleon's great Sanhedrin plan failed. His goal to assimilate the Jews of Europe gained traction during his time. Defeated by the British, the tyrant Napoleon was exiled to the remote island of St. Helena in the South Atlantic Ocean, where he pined his life away, wishing if only he could have conquered the world. But our Lord warned in Matthew 16, 26, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Or what will a man give as an exchange for his soul? Well, Bible prophecy is only best understood when it's actually fulfilled. Nevertheless, we have plenty of types throughout history of the future time of the Great Tribulation and of the ultimate beast to be known as the son of perdition, the Antichrist. Nevertheless, while we watch signs of the gathering storm and globalists regularly convening to plan how to take over the world, Bible believers should not be afraid to live our meaningful lives in the end times. We know the victorious end from the beginning as outlined in this word of God. So let's purpose to have no fear for the future. We must accept the Lord's invitation to face daily events by trusting in his love and watch care and being comforted by our blessed hope as Paul exhorted us in Titus 2.13, the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus, our Messiah. Also, the apostle Peter exhorted us in 2 Peter 1.19 that Bible prophecy is like a lamp shining in a dark place that we would do well to pay attention to. The Bible's prophetic message is completely reliable. The world has indeed become a much darker place than when I was growing up. But I believe the churches desperately need teaching on Bible prophecy to comfort us and to enlighten us in dark days ahead. That means we need teaching on the return of Jesus. The darkness of man's moral condition has been to some extent dispelled and scattered by the light which God himself has kindled in this word. And so the apostle Peter likened Bible prophecy, not just to a lamp shining in the dark, but also to the day star that brings early morning light even before the sun rises. So let's take heed to the lamp and the day star of Bible prophecy. However, according to the apostle Peter, the doctrine that will be most attacked in the last days, and you know, this is one of my special interests, you guessed it, it's the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus. Peter wrote that mockers will come mocking, scoffers will come scoffing. The proliferation of these scoffers making fun of the rapture and even harshly deriding it and denying the second coming is itself a signal sign of the Lord's soon appearing. It's amazingly how prophetic is the prophecy of the Apostle Peter about second coming mockers in the last days because they're here all around us. When I was growing up, the biblical doctrine of the rapture, and yes, it is a biblical doctrine, it was anticipated with faith, but now it has become hated even in many of the churches where once it was extolled and where it is decried now by professing believers who seem inordinately tied to the things of this world. 
I receive all the time, shocking, spiteful, and even hard-hearted comments on social media against something as hopeful and wonderful as the doctrine of the rapture, a Bible doctrine that teaches Jesus will evacuate believers, his bride, in the atmosphere before the onset of the great tribulation period, the time of God's wrath, something the Lord admonished us to pray in Luke 21, 36, warning, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. I want you to note that scoffing and mocking is a very soul-hardening vice. Psalm 1 begins with these immortal words, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Mockery, on the other hand, is contagious. In the Apostle Peter's second epistle, he wrote to believers admonishing us to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago, and also reminding us that in the last days, scoffers are bound to come, mocking the truth of the Lord's return and following their own lusts and desires. Their attitude will be snarky, saying, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? For everything has remained the same since the world began. But of course, that statement is a lie that everything has remained the same since creation. No, things haven't remained the same. God has intervened in history with the catastrophe of the universal flood and also with the scattering of the people at the Tower of Babel, confusing the languages. Both Noah's flood and the Tower of Babel were direct interventions by God in human history. In fact, God has intervened countless times in the history of Israel, and God himself invaded history by sending his only begotten son to redeem mankind. So mockers in their mockery, saying everything has remained the same since creation, they have deliberately forgotten that God used water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And the Apostle Peter says that by the same word of God, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But the Apostle Peter added in 2 Peter 3, 8, don't forget this one thing, friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. He said the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise of the second coming as some people regard slowness. No, rather he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he's waiting for everyone to be brought to repentance. So what can we learn from Peter's second epistle? First of all, that mockers will be a sign of the last days. And in Hebrew poetic style, he said mockers will come with mockery, scoffing at holy things, walking after their own lusts and saying with prejudice because of their loose, unsanctified lifestyle, where is the promise of his coming? Because they dislike the idea of the Lord's second coming which will put an end to their sins and rebellion. Peter teaches us that it's a mistake to fix a time 
as a condition upon God's promises. God's ways and timetable are not our ways and timetable, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We mustn't make the mistake of misreading the apparent tardiness of God. I've learned that God may seem slow to answer, but he's never late. What seems to us a delay is not divine neglect, but divine mercy, granting an opportunity and time for human repentance or restitution or whatever the case may be. The mockers argue that the Lord is not coming because so many believers have fallen asleep in death already and the promise of the second coming was never fulfilled in their lifetime. Bible scholars explain that the mocker's argument is drawn from uniformity, meaning a state of continual sameness, the sun rising and setting day by day. This attitude of uniformity says that all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So Peter prophesies that in the last days, mockers would seek to use uniformity to turn us against faith. And it has remarkably turned out just as the apostle prophesied. Uniformity is the mindset of many skeptics that the present order of things will just continue and drone on endlessly. But Peter calls them out, mentioning the catastrophes of the past. Peter referenced the flood as his answer to the mockers. And he says future catastrophes are also in store, not by water, but by fire. And then he said, don't forget this one thing, beloved, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. His words were no doubt inspired by Psalm 90 verse four. The apostle teaches that our ideas of short and long in time are not to be applied to God's mode of reckoning because God lives in eternity outside of time. Psalm 90, by the way, is the oldest Psalm written by Moses. And verse four says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes or as a watch in the night. And so we learn God reckons time differently. He's not time bound the way mankind is time bound. And the apostle Peter added, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but he's long suffering, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that's the reason for the Lord's delay, so that sinners may yet be saved and that we can go out and save some. Longing for the salvation of sinners is also expressed in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 32, where God says, I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. Therefore, says the Lord, return to me and live. The positive side of the divine wish is that all should come to repentance and be saved. And so let's all respond to God's divine wish to be saved and for God's divine patience while he waits for sinners to repent. Furthermore, Peter prophesied in 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall be dissolved with fervent heat and the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. By the way, the day of the Lord, we are to understand, is the day of the Messiah's glorious manifestation, his second coming. The coming of the day is regarded with certainty. 
The original text is emphatic, stating, will come the day of the Lord. So whether we believe it or not, whether we anticipate it or not, the day of the Lord will come suddenly as a thief, just as Jesus also said. And the elements of which the heavens are composed will pass away with a great noise, Peter said. That will be the Big Bang. And it's no theory. The elements will be dissolved with fire. I like the point made by Texas pastor Andy Woods. He was asked if he believes in the Big Bang Theory. He said, yes, I do. I just think the Big Bang is at the end, not necessarily at the beginning. The poor evolutionists have got everything backwards. How wonderful for us to take on board the knowledge that in the overall scheme of things, the Apostle Peter anticipated the mindset of the mockers and that they would use mockery to try to destroy and discredit the doctrine of the second coming. So let's not be fooled by their lies and let's not let them do it. They don't want to be reminded of the second coming because the second coming implies judgment. The apostle Peter prophesied their philosophy that claims there's been no pattern of God's intervention, but this mindset claims that God didn't intervene dramatically in the world yesterday, nor today, and that he's not going to intervene in our world tomorrow. That's a lie. They say the earth will always be the same. So therefore we have to go green. We have to make all these efforts to try to preserve this planet. We have to drive electric cars and give up gas stoves and so on and so forth. But nearly 2000 years ago, Peter prophesied that this would be the thinking of our day. And it's no wonder that we have been inundated with the theory of evolution in millions of years. The whole doctrine of creation is under attack or watered down by preachers and pulpits teaching some sort of evolution. But contrary to popular opinion, one of these days, the rapture is going to occur. The Bible says so. Then the Holy Spirit's restrainer will be removed, allowing the final and most devastating Antichrist tyrant, worse than Napoleon, worse than Hitler, to come to power under a one world government. He will implement tracking systems in the mark of the beast to control financial transactions and everyone's health status. Meanwhile, Bible scholars point out that presently we're living in a time period where the world has been changed on a number of occasions, like the flood, like the Tower of Babel, and the incarnation of the Savior. And the world is yet to undergo more changes when the rapture suddenly occurs. The rapture will be as dramatic and cataclysmic as Noah's flood. And the second coming of Jesus to earth will be even more cataclysmic but contrary to the mockers, God will keep his promise right on his time schedule. Jesus will return. In preparation for his return, the extraordinary events that led to the rebirth of Israel involved no coincidences. God has orchestrated history to bring us to this hour. Jesus prophesied in Mark 13 and Matthew 24, the generation that sees the blossoming of the fig tree the nation of Israel will also see his return. The only reason his return has been delayed is that God is outside of time waiting for as many souls such as should be saved to be saved. And the delay is to be credited to the goodness of God's character. As 2 Peter 3 verse 9 states, 
The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some calculate slowness, but he's patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. A delay in the return of Christ is not a denial. He's coming. May we truly take it to heart today that there's a reason for the delay, and it's so that you can get saved if you're not already saved. Recently, I heard a precious Jewish brother say, I don't know if I'm saved or unsaved, but he said, I love Jesus. Did you know that the Bible assures us in 1 John 5, 13, a very precious verse, that these things have been written so that you who believe in the name of the Son of God may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So my friends, the Apostle Peter has identified for us the doctrine that will be attacked the most in the last days, the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus. So we're not going to be fooled. Well, even though these days are in many ways quite difficult, they're also glorious as the light of Bible prophecy keeps getting brighter and brighter prior to the return of the Lord. Don't think for a moment that it's an accident that you were born into this generation he has a plan for each of us, and he knows exactly when we should live in his overall scheme of events. So be satisfied in the time in which we are dwelling. In closing today, I want to add something about the hymn Amazing Grace that I didn't have time to say in my previous broadcast. Every time I hear that hymn, my favorite verse is the verse that describes my personal testimony. It says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. I can testify that I've been through many dangers, toils, and snares. I've had many close shaves with death and sometimes in potentially dangerous places. I wonder if, like me, you also have been through many dangerous toils and snares. I can surely testify in the keeping power of God's grace. And surely this verse in Amazing Grace also describes the long history as well as the future of the Jewish people. They have passed through many dangerous toils and snares, but God has brought them home and he will continue to finish their redemption. And when Jesus returns, I believe it'll be sooner rather than later, the word of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem and cover the entire earth with the knowledge of the Lord. So I hope you can see how important it is to understand Bible prophecy, the nation of Israel, and to accomplish exploits in these last days by being watchmen upon these walls of Jerusalem. New viewers are discovering our website, exploits.tv, where you can read update reports on Bible prophecy. And we've updated a library of videos available to watch for free 24-7 at our Jerusalem Channel app, at our website, as well as our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site and many other platforms. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me on social media. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Maranatha.